Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. My name is John Schmelk. Hello, everybody. I'm back, joined by Lance Meadow. Uh, I would love to give the phone number, but unfortunately, we are still not live, though I'm being told there is progress being made in that area, and we hope to be live um, sometime soon. Uh, We are equally as frustrated as you are with this. It's out of our control, and uh, we are working on it. So hopefully, uh, sooner rather than later, uh, we will have that in place. Uh, Lance, how are you, buddy? I'm doing very well. I'm glad that you are up and about and feeling better. So that's certainly a positive news. I would say the parallel to the whole operation with phone calls, it's very similar to the early stages of training camp for the Giants, right? Offense, defense being implemented. There's some growing (laughs) pains. And then little by little, it improves. And by the time we get to preseason games or the regular season, you hope to see improvement. So that's the best way that I would equate it to X's and O's of football. Well, I would sure as I hope that we're up live long before that. Sure, of course. Well, we're a little bit more optimistic that the timeline will be moved a little bit faster along. Yes, yes I feel like this is like the third time now that I've been able to tell people, hey, I'm back. Um, but uh, yeah, so COVID was 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 not great. Um, the symptoms themselves weren't that bad. Uh, just kind of had a, you know, kind of a bad cold, kind of felt out of it. You know, a little stuffy, a little cough, didn't really have a sore throat, didn't really have a fever. Uh, the best part, though, was having to deal with, you know, being just being kind of tired and out of it while dealing with an asymptomatic four-year-old in isolation in a basement for four straight days. Lovely. Um, which, which actually, I think was actually a chapter in Dante's Inferno. I'm not sure <laughs> if it if it was or not. If but not, was, they're going to add it now as yeah, a result. <laughs> yeah, they really should. So, it, it, look, I, I I love my daughter, but she is exhausting, especially when you're dealing with COVID. <laughs> Sure. But uh, luckily, she never had any symptoms. She's great. She's back at school, and I was able to go back and attend practice today, socially distancing with the mask on. A lot of fun wearing a, a surgical mask in 90-degree weather. But I was just a lot thrilled. Of but let, needless to say, Lance, I was thrilled to be out of my basement, where I am back now, by the way, because I'm still just trying to be respectful with the people at the office. I have no more symptoms, um, but I just want to make sure everyone's safe, and then I'll be back full bore. Uh, in the office full-time on Monday and everything like that, because that'll be 10 days from that positive test. So um was happy to be out of practice today, Lance, and, and we'll t- I'll talk a little bit about what happened on the practice field. But it seems like a lot of the chat of the last couple of days uh, has been focused on what's been a lot of pre-snap motion uh, that was in the first day of training camp practice, and frankly, it was in a lot of the uh, OTA stuff that, that we had seen in the spring as well. And we kind of spoke about that um, a lot. And, you know, this is something some teams in the NFL use more of than others. It's very popular in the kind of, you know, the Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay school, um, the Bears a couple years ago. 
uh, when uh, they they'd run a lot of it. Matt Nagy, um, yeah. yeah, Matt Nagy. Thank you with um, with uh, their system and when they had Tedford there too, right? So they had, you know, it's been used a lot by different people, uh, used a lot by the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think this is where a lot of this has kind of come over. If you listen to the Giants huddle I did that posted on Monday, I talked to Graham Gano, Casey Kreider, and then Matt Breda. And Breda, remember, he came with Dable from Buffalo, and he basically said in the interview, look, you know, all this, like, magical motion stuff, this is all, like, Kafka magic. And I think a lot of this stuff, and, yeah, we saw some pre-snap motion with, with Buffalo last year pertaining specifically to some of those design Josh Allen runs to kind of create some misdirection on those plays. But a lot of this pre-snap stuff, I think, is some of the stuff that they're integrating from what Kafka has brought over from Kansas City. Well, if you remember, speaking of Kansas City, I believe it was in the Super Bowl against the Niners, or maybe it was a playoff game. Kansas City did that little spinnerooski. Yep. They almost looked like they were a dance team in unison, if you recall, John. And he was there for that. Eric Bieniemy obviously, was the offensive coordinator. But he's taking a page out of that. That's what it seems. And, hey, Brian Dable's been in a lot of offenses, too. So he's been exposed to some oh, of this sure. stuff. And Buffalo, obviously, was very creative in terms of how they utilize their personnel. But remember, Dable, remember, this has been hot in college for a really long sure. time. And Dable had that year at Alabama where he was yep. exposed to a ton of that. Well, and I think part of the mindset is – the more personnel you move before the snap, maybe you get the defense to move around and give away whether or not they're in man, they're in zone, or what exactly yeah. their strategy is. So, I mean, there's rhyme and reason behind it. I don't think it's not all window dressing, I guess is my point, John. They're not doing it for the sake of doing it. They're doing it because there's a purpose behind it. Sometimes you don't get the defense to give up much of anything. Other times, maybe you get a little bit of a taste. But I think that's why Dable and Kafka want to implement this now and the other layer that's connected to this in terms of what we've been seeing at OTAs in the spring and then now in practice is you've got to emphasize this during practice, John. You can't throw this out during a regular season game and think these guys are all yeah. going to be on the same page. It was actually it was something Brian Dable spoke about earlier today where he had mentioned you're asking a lot out of the players because somebody asked the question about, well, is it fun for the guys? And he says, well, hey, listen, you got to ask the players that. He says, what I'm trying to get out of them is – we're trying to make sure that they can handle maybe starting on the right side of a play, ending up on the left, vice versa, starting in the backfield, then going into the slot. And you have to know that because there's a lot of different things that you could do out of one play. So that's why his emphasis is we got to get these guys out of the practice field now experiment because you do not want to do this once the regular season starts. Yeah, no question about it. I, th I think that's certainly true. And, and you know, you, po you pointed out that there is definitely – a purpose to this. This isn't just like, oh, we're going to move guys around. We're going to confuse people. Look, if you just get a defensive player, a linebacker, to look in the wrong direction or take one or one or take two, just one half false step in a direction before a play, it can create a big advantage, right? As, oh, yeah. as, as you try to run in the other direction. And, you know, this is a game of inches, it's a game of split seconds, and that can buy you a little bit of extra time as you try to make things happen. Now, that doesn't mean there's a guarantee of success. Like we mentioned, like the Bears, when they had, you know, Tariq Cohen, you know, running around back there like a lunatic, they ran, you know, a crazy amount of pre-snap motion, you know, two, three years ago when Matt Nagy first got there, and their offense, frankly, wasn't very good. So you have to have the players to, to actually implement this stuff and, and the talent enough to, to make it work. It's something that will complement and maybe give you an edge on the margins here or there, but you still have to have the players, you know, to make it work. And I think that that's always important to add, too. It's, you know, it's not some panacea where it's like, oh, a lot of pre-stamp motion, top five offense, here we go. 
Yeah, it's not synonymous with one another automatically. The other thing that you have to be careful about is, I would say, the opposite side of the spectrum. You do too much movement, guys are not on the same page, and you're not getting much out of it. You're going to get false starts. You're going to get penalties, John. And the team that we saw in previous years where there wasn't a lot of pre-snap movement, they were guilty think about that, of all those penalties. So the last thing now you want to do is take a similar personnel group. Okay, I understand it's a new coaching staff, and all of a sudden put them in a very precarious spot. So I think that's why you work out the kinks now, you work out the issues so that everybody understands what you're doing, gets the purpose of it, and also is on the same page. Because this is not an offense, regardless of how colorful it is and how dressed up it is, that you say, all right, sure, we'll start off at first and 15. Not a problem, because Dable and Kafka have plenty of tricks up their sleeve, and they'll be able to overcome that. You don't want to still put yourself in those types of positions. No, and I thought, considering this has been a big focus, uh, both Saquon Barkley and Leonard Williams, who both spoke to the media today, they were asked about this today. And I thought it was interesting, because Williams kind of talks about it from a defensive perspective, but then Saquon Lance is one of the guys that's going to be in motion pre-snap, right? Whether he's lined up in the backfield or even in the slot, moving back and forth to draw attention. So uh, here's a few minutes. We'll see how long he goes on this particular topic. Then we'll uh, we'll take it out here. But uh, here's Saquon being asked about uh, his role in the offense, and then they will get into some of the uh, pre-snap motion stuff as we go along. Here's Saquon. It's really early, but uh, you know, how are you feeling about, about this offense so far and about the way you're being used? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm very excited. Um, not just for myself, but for, for all the offensive weapons. Um, you know, I think... Kafka, Daves, you know, all the offensive coaches are doing a really good job of installing and, and seeing what, we, what we're able to do. And uh, for us, we just got to get in the playbook, learn, um, and take it day by day. Saquon, what, what is the challenge of all this added motion? You know, I mean, you got to be on point before the snap, obviously. Yeah, um, obviously, you got to be locked in. You got to be locked in. Uh, you got to take that time outside of football, outside of meeting rooms um, to to learn yourself and know yourself. And, you know, like I said, you're going to have, you're going to have your mistakes. Um, it's early in camp, uh, but that's where it's off. That's what training camp is about. It's coming here, try new things, uh, see what we can do as offense and um, see what we can add to our offense uh, of game plan when we get ready for the season. What do you think that's going to do? Um, you know, I mean, you've been in a lot of different systems and when there's all that motion, what do you think it's going to do for the conflict? Dave said about creating conflict. Yeah, I think I would just elaborate on that, creating conflict. Um, I don't think of what it's going to do. I kind of know what it's going to do. You, you see it out in practice. It forces the defense to think um, uh, and, and kind of put the advantage in our hand. And we got to execute on pre-snap, execute post-snap, um, and know what we got to do because uh, it, it could be a weapon for us. But like I said, can't look too far ahead. Uh, just got to keep working and get better day by day. Is that something that will continue to grow, you think? I mean, Dave was talking a little bit about how he has to remember with the motions that he's not that your guys are in year one. He's in year five or six or whatever. Mm. Did, is there more to it? To it? To I don't know. Develop? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised uh, with Days and Kafka. Um, you know, they're, they're very, very creative. All the offensive coaches are very creative. Um, and you know, we got a lot of weapons. We got a lot of talented guys on both sides of the ball. Um, but you know, we just got to keep coming in, keep learning, and keep getting better every single day. When I when we look out there, I see you know. Seems you're running a lot more routes, not just you know into the flat. Uh, in this offense, how much do you see that being more of something that you're going to do? And what what do you think that can do for your game if if, if you do get that opportunity? Um, yeah. What, what do I see it doing for myself? I just want to be a versatile player and do whatever I can to help the team win. 
Um, so whatever the coach asks me to do, I'm going to go out there and try my best at it. And whatever I need to work on, continue to work on, um, and just involve my game. Um, that's something I want to do, become an overall better player. And I, I think this offense is giving me the opportunity to do that. So I'm thankful and uh, blessed to have that. So for me, I just got to take advantage of it by uh, getting in the getting in facility, taking extra meeting time, and uh, learning the playbook. Saquon, when you were coming out of college, there was, at least I heard reports that there were times at practice where you'd work with the receivers and work on your route running. Is that accurate? And if so, how much time have you put into not just running you know, standard routes, but running as many routes as you can? Um, yeah, that's accurate. That's an accurate statement in college. But every year in the NFL, to be honest. Um, obviously, I haven't done it in the past here, or this is probably the first time you guys ever witnessed me working out with the wide receivers, but that's my off-season training. Um, you know, I do running back drills, a lot of running back drills, but um, so I can expand my game, be more, more versatile. You know, when we do offensive trips or, you know, DJ needs someone to throw, um, you know, he called the wide receivers, and I try to make sure I'm there uh, and just try to learn because, like I said, I want to do whatever I can to help this team win and um, expand my game. So just whatever coach needs me to do, whatever they ask me to do, just go, go over there. And Lance, we could talk more about the receiver stuff too as you go along here. But just in terms of the pre-snap motion, he talked about putting people in conflict, and that's kind of what we discussed too, right? How you you know you move guys if you move a guy's eyes or even his feet pre-snap in one direction, and then you can bring it back the other way. That can create some extra space, and sometimes a little extra space is all you need to turn a you know what would be a three or four yard run into a fifteen yard run or a twenty five yard run or more. Well, and you also get the defense thinking too especially if you have Saquon start in the backfield, then all of a sudden, let's say he lines up in the slot. Okay, was that, once again, window dressing, as I like to call it, John? Or is he now an intended target, and now you have to account for a member of the secondary or a linebacker to move over and defend the flat? Or who knows, maybe Barkley's going to run a wheel route or something like that, which is what we've seen in previous offenses. So to me, conflict, it's not so much that you're creating conflict with your offense. You're creating conflict for the defense to maybe think twice about what they're doing. I think the other thing that relates to what you brought up and what Saquon was getting into, it's the importance of also versatility within the offensive groupings. And what I mean by that is a guy like Saquon is appealing because we know he can run with the ball, he can catch the ball in the backfield. Wondell Robinson can do the same. Kadarius Tony, and you can yep. throw in the fact that he also has the arm strength to throw the football. Given those his are the experience three, right? As a quarterback, I mean, correct. You yeah. can you can interchange those guys in any way you want. Exactly. Yeah, and that's the key. And I think that was also John when Brian Dable and Joe Shane were sitting down and they were going over. And Kafka, I'm sure, had a great deal of influence in this too. What do we want out of the players? And we want to make sure that hey, God forbid, we lose a guy due to injury. Do we now have to change what we're doing or can we continue to run what we laid out in training camp regardless of who's out there? That to me is important about the NFL. I don't want to get off topic here, but one example I want to bring up, and this is also the mindset, John, of why they brought in a guy like Tyrod Taylor. I know we talked a little bit about this in the offseason. You want to make sure that if you have a mobile quarterback or a quarterback that does something unique because of his skill set, if you bring in a backup who's a statue and now you can't run all of the things that you were running for six or seven weeks, it defeats the purpose of your depth chart. So I think that thought process went through the drafting of Wondell Robinson, inheriting Kadarius Toney, and maybe tapping into a little bit more of what Saquon can do. 
Yeah, look, the question you want to—if if you want a part to be "quote unquote" replaceable, well, the guy you're replacing the player with has to have a—you know—maybe is not as good of a player, but at least has to have a similar skill set where he can perform the same tasks that the starter can, even if it's not at the same, you know, higher level. I'm with you on that 100%. And, and, we, and we'll get back into Saquon as a receiver in a second. But now Leonard Williams, who was the other person that spoke in media today after Saquon, uh, he kind of was asked about defending against this pre-snap motion in practice and, and kind of how that impacts the defense. So let's listen into Leonard Williams talking to the media. Leonard, how much have you noticed the, um, the uptick in the motion that the offense is showing you? And, you know, uh, Brian says that he wants to create conflict. Yeah. yeah. What have you noticed the differences, and does it create conflict? Uh, I think it does. You know, the offense is uh, showing a lot of diversity, um, and it definitely confuses defenses. Um, and I, I think when you have, you know, enough weapons on offense, you can uh, you allow your offense to have that type of diversity. And, um, you know, I think it's good for the offense. You can tell already that with the, the most pre-snap stuff that it's – making you think more maybe? Yeah, you know, I'm a defensive lineman, so I get my checks most of the time from linebackers and stuff like that. But uh, I could just hear the safeties and linebackers and a uh, second level communication. And uh, it's constantly changing because like, I could tell motions and stuff like that are happening uh, while my hands in the dirt because I could hear those guys communicating in the back end. And, uh, you know, it's, it's causing a little bit of confusion. And it's, it's good for us as well, you know, as a defense, uh, you know, learn our communication and, and things that we have to check and all that stuff as well. And like I said, it's, um, you know, the offense is doing a good job of creating that diversity. As a defense, I mean, during the season, you went against teams last year that used pre-snap motion like yeah. you said, collectively. Sometimes it's done for eye candy, but then mm. other times, I guess it's more dangerous when it's actually with a purpose. Do you yeah. guys almost get a sense, you can tell the difference? Yeah, even the eye candy stuff, it's like a lot of times they'll do it just to see if like, we're in man or zone and stuff like that, which is still helpful for the offense. But, uh, you know, even further than that, they're doing it, like you said, just to create different matchups, create different type of weapons and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, sometimes get like a really speedy, like slot type of guy lined up on a, you know, a linebacker, which is a Mitch match and stuff like that. And uh, they're doing a good job of that right now. Is the defense still in a feeling out stage, trying to learn everything, or are you, how far along are you? Uh, we pretty much almost installed everything uh, during OTAs. Uh, we're still learning. We're still like restarting, obviously, and we didn't put everything in yet. But um, you know, I, I feel like near the end of OTAs, guys are picking it up pretty quickly. Uh, feels like we got it down pretty good. The communication was good, and uh, now we're you know starting from the beginning again, and it's like it feels even easier learning it this time around. You feel like you're gonna be any good? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I feel like Wink is a great coach. I feel like this defense is doing a good job of uh, coming together and being like a unified defense, and I think that's the most important thing with a with a defense that has so many moving parts. You know what I mean? Uh, the communication and the unity as defense is uh, is really major. You know, it's funny, Lance. I thought the answer to that last question was going to be, no, we're not. I know. I was waiting for it to say that. I love those questions. I just love it. No. So, what are your expectations for the team this year? Nah, I think we're going to lose every single game. We're going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, Captain Obvious. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. Um, but, you look, you heard it there, and, and, and that's what you're trying to do. now. And now the trick is these teams are going to have to do, and this is something that we always – you know, heard from the Giants when they went against a lot of these teams that do a lot of the pre-snap motion, is that it does require now a little bit more work 
heading into a week against the Giants to try to figure out, all right, what's real, what's not, what do they do out of these? It just gives you another thing to study if you're an opposing defense here going up against the Giants to figure it out. Now, you might catch some teams by surprise with some of the stuff the first, you know, half of the year maybe, first third of the year, quarter of the year, whatever. Eventually teams are going to, you know, pick up on a lot of it and it's just going to be part of the game plan. But it does give opponents another thing to kind of have to look at here. Well, and also, if you go back to what Leonard Williams talked about, John, it was interesting because he was looking at it from the opposite perspective. What prepares the defense? I'm talking about the Giants' defense. If they see other teams that do a lot of motion this season, well, they're going to be practicing against it on a daily basis through training camp and all the way through the regular season. So you're really saying to yourself, not only are you helping the offense get on the same page, but you're also helping the other facet of your team prepare for what they may see down the road, especially if you look at the upcoming schedule and some of the dynamic offenses and the quarterbacks. And also there's a number of teams the Giants are playing. They have new coaching staffs and so forth. So I think all of that could help the team overall, not just necessarily one individual part. But, hey, the bottom line is you've got to keep defenses on their toes and you have to remain creative. And I think what you're tapping into, John, is let's say the Giants show some looks through the first quarter of the season. The defenses are now getting a better idea. Now the onus is on Dable and Kafka. Okay, maybe you need to now take the offense, which is more comfortable, you would hope, at that point, to another level with respect to the pre-snap motion. You have to now implement other things that have not been shown on film so that you continue to catch the defenses off guard. Yeah, no question about it. And by the way, we should be clear here. When we talk about like pre-snap motion and shifts, you know, last year the Giants did plenty of just, all right, we're going to send the running back in motion out of the backfield to split out wide. We're going to bring the slot guy from the left to the right to kind of see if a team's in zone or man. Like they did that plenty last year. That was something that, that, that Jason Garrett used a lot of. This is more motion at the snap, right? Where the guy is, you know, kind of screaming out of the backfield, which can be in that jet sweep motion or even behind the quarterback or or receiver right before the snap goes in motion to try to kind of get the defensive eyes to move. So when we're talking about more of this stuff, we're talking more motion at the snap than just your typical you know pre-snap shift and things like that. Well, if you go back to Kansas City, and once again, we're referring to Bills and Chiefs examples because that's the background of the Giants offensive coaching staff. Think about, John, how the Chiefs utilized a guy like Travis Kelsey. Remember, they would pitch the ball to him off of Mahomes with motion. Mm -hmm. Correct. And Mm -hmm. the fullback would be utilized, Michael Burden last season. Those are the types of things that maybe we could see implemented within the Giants scheme. And just when you're thinking Kelsey's going to run a route that perhaps requires him to fade into the back of the end zone or maybe across the end zone. Now instead, he takes on more of a role as a running back who is being hidden by the traffic, hides behind all of that, and Mahomes shuffles it to him, and he runs it to the end zone. I think it's things like that. I don't want to take words out of your mouth, but I believe no, that's yeah, what 100%. essentially you were tapping into. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you, you fake the jet sweep motion, and then you hand to Barkley, he runs a counter the other way. So you hope yep. you get... The linebackers going with the jet sweep to the right, and then Barkley runs it to the left. You know, that sort of stuff where you where you try to make you know the the defense move a little bit, which hopes gives you enough of an advantage where you can start making some plays. All right, Lance, I'll be run through here a couple things that I saw at practice, and then you can you know feel free to comment. Then we can get more into kind of the stuff Saquon talked about with the. Um, in terms of his use as a receiver, because I do think we're going to see him used a lot more in that way. Not so much today at practice, but I believe he did catch a touchdown at practice number one, which yep. I just kind of watched the highlights of along with everybody else since I was uh, still not five days out from my positive test. So uh, 
so again, it was hot today. You know, I think it, I think temperatures are reaching 90 today, but it was probably only in the high 80s when you're out there. The sun was out. It was steamy. Um, typical, you know, New Jersey swampy afternoon. Um, it started off, you know, yesterday they, they did a lot of red zone one-on-ones. Today, uh, a, a lot of red zone action and team stuff. Today they started off with red zone one-on-ones, and I think, you know, we saw kind of Canarius Tony pick up where he left off yesterday. Everyone kind of saw that contested touchdown catch that he had during yesterday's practice. He had a similar one today at the beginning of practice in uh, red zone one-on-ones between receivers and defensive backs. And and I think, you know, we could talk about the individual play, whatever, but I think it's just more important to note where, you know, we talked about how Tony was used in college and coming in last year, how you were going to try to use him probably in a lot of the gadget stuff and, and things of that nature. But I know I tried to be very clear. I, I, I hope I was that you don't pick a guy, what was he, 17th overall, Lance? Yeah. You don't pick a guy 17th overall to just be a guy that runs gadget plays for you because that would be a gross misuse of a draft pick <laughs> uh, because it, it it's just stupid, to be quite frank with you. He so, was 20th, by the way. We were 20th, off by three. 20th, yeah, 20th. thank you. Yeah. I, I thought it was 19th or 17th, 20th, perfect. So you don't pick a guy 20th overall to be a gadget player, okay? You want it now. Maybe that's where he starts, and then, unfortunately, he was in and out of the lineup so much last year, you didn't really get to see him expand that role all that much. But, look, they want him to be like the Z-wide receiver, right? You have Kenny Galladay over there as the X, and your Z is going to be Kadarius Tony. Like, he's running real routes. Like, he's going to run the route tree. He's not just doing, like, jet sweeps and wide receiver screens. Like, he's going to be a real deal wide receiver. That's why you pick like a guy like that in the first round. Now, of course, the caveat there, Lance, is that this front office isn't the front office that drafted him in the first round or the coaching staff, and I get that. But he's on the roster, and he certainly has the physical ability to do anything you would want a wide receiver to do in terms of speed, quickness, agility, and things like that. And I've talked about how, speaking to him, I think he's a very smart player. So as long as he can stay healthy, you know, they're going to try to use him as a regular Z wide receiver here and win in normal ways a wide receiver can, along with that other stuff where you try to get the ball in his hands and just try to let him make some plays. Which is what we saw a lot of last season when he was healthy, which is, hey, get it to him in open space, let him like a video game controller, just make the defense go crazy, going right, left, juke him, you name it, and all of a sudden turn it into a big play. But yeah, but I'll say this, remember that Dallas game last year? Most of that, were, they were, those are like contested catches outside, real sure. routes. Like That wasn't like a gadget game for him. He was caught passes like he was a regular wide receiver. Well, and it also goes back to what we were talking about with the pre-snap motion and the motion at the snap. If you become that wide receiver where all they're doing is they're dumping it off to you within that 5- to 10-yard range and expecting you to run after the catch, you become more predictable as a player. So, really, it's more on Tony to continue to develop and continue to prove the rest of the league, not just the Giants coaching staff, that he could be utilized as that versatile all-around wide receiver. And it also goes back to, and this is pretty much, to me, the most important element in play as to why Tony should be utilized in conventional ways. You never could go into a season, as has been well-documented with the Giants, that the six or seven wideouts that you have on the roster are going to stay healthy the entire year. John. So Tony may have to take on, you were talking about the Z, Tony may have to assume a different role at some point this season, right? Depending on how things play out with the other receivers. The coaching staff's not going to look around and say, well, we'll just randomly call up a guy from the practice squad or sign a guy off the street and hoping that he could fill the void left behind by Tony. No. 
you're hoping that now somebody else or Tony himself can fill in. So that, to me, is a bigger reason why he has to be that all-around wideout. Yeah, no question about it, and they hope they can develop him, and he stays on the field enough so he can be that guy. And so far, so good, at least through two training camp practices. Uh, Kenny Galladay, to me at least, watching it from my perspective, was pretty heavily involved. He had a fun one-on-one rep with the Dory Jackson in the red zone, number one cornerback, number one receiver. They tried to get Galladay on a slant, and the Dory Jackson kind of jumped in front and dove and laid out and kind of got a hand on the ball and knocked it away. Later on in practice, Gallaudet uh, caught a, I believe it was a drag route or a cross route over the middle, and Julian Love came over right as he caught the ball. As he was tucking it in, Love kind of got his hand in there, snatched down, and, and knocked the ball away. I thought it was a good defensive play. And then towards the end of practice, at that point, Gallaudet made what was the biggest pay of practice, which was like a drag route over the middle, and he caught what would have been like a 30 or, or 30 or 35-yard gain. Uh, great pass by Jones to hit him on the move across the middle. Uh, so I thought he was a little bit more involved in this practice, which I thought was good to see. Uh, later on, Colin Johnson caught a, a deep pass over the top, which ended up being the the uh, longest play of practice. But it was good to see Galladay involved. And I, and I think, you know, as he gets more into this, Lance, uh, you know, Galladay's the guy I'm not sure. You know, we talk about this a lot. Usually the bigger, taller guys, that's not where you're going to, like, you know, show off in in camp practices because you're not getting necessarily a ton of separation and you know you don't have pads on yet so you can't be super physical yet as as a wide receiver which Gallaudet likes to be but it was good to see him heavily involved in the offense today and it was good frankly to see Dory Jackson be able to hang and and play well against a a bigger wide receiver which is something that he's probably going to be asked to do this year because the Giants aren't running out a bunch of like six three corners here so Jackson's gonna have to cover some of these bigger wide receivers considering his value, regardless of his size, they need him to make plays like that because the rest of the secondary is extremely young and inexperienced. So, I mean, it's good to just see his overall aggressiveness given the fact that the pads have not been on, that those guys are at least already in the form of, hey, I need to make plays early. I need to make quite the statement. I think just overall from a big-picture perspective, and this was something that Brian Dable and also Joe Shane talked about, With respect to Daniel Jones, it's good to have the entire receiving core out on the field, John, through the first two days of training camp because this was the missing element all of last year and even previous years where Daniel Jones just never had the entire arsenal of weapons on the field where you could say, okay, Daniel could build chemistry and B, this is actually what the Giants offense can look like when you have everybody healthy. They weren't even out there in the spring. Exactly. Well, a bunch of guys were wearing red jerseys at the time too. Yeah. So this is really the first taste of everybody getting out there. You hope, though, that they prove to be durable and they hold up when the games and the practices actually count. So we still have ways to go, but that, to me, is the most encouraging aspect. And I think the other thing with respect to Kenny Galladay, and they were working on some red zone stuff yesterday, and we saw Wondell Robinson catch a fade into the back corner of the left side, but... I'd be interested to see how much of a role Galladay starts to assume within the red zone, John, because with his size and with his ability to win those jump balls and be physical in tighter spaces, that's where I think his true value can pay off and maybe not able to see that until the preseason or the regular season. I'm not saying you're going to get a taste of that all the way throughout training camp, but that to me is the one element that can make a huge difference for the Giants. Yeah, I think I missed because I was on the other side of the practice field and then they started doing one-on-one red zone on the opposite side of the field. So I'm trying to like run over there as, as they run. So I might have missed his first rep. 
But I talked about the one red zone rep where Jackson kind of knocked the ball away, and I believe, as I look at my notes here, I think he went up against Aaron Robinson on another red zone rep, if I'm not mistaken. Let's see. You have the Jackson knock away there. Um, no, I think that was later on in practice, actually. It was not a red zone rep there. Aaron Robinson kind of knocked away a pass over the middle intended for Galladay. But, yeah, look, they're going to need him to, to – to be a guy that can make those types of contested catches. You know me, I'm not a huge fan of those fade patterns. I just don't think the the per, the, the success percentage on those are great. But they're going to be the best when you're throwing to a guy that can make contested catches in a 6'4 with a big wingspan and can jump. So that's the role that you hope Galladay can play. And he's really, again, you have a guy like Colin Johnson. He just hasn't done it. You know, they're very similar size-wise, but he has not, never had the success that... Um, Gaudet has had in the NFL to that level, so I think to expect him to go and do that, even though huh, obviously Lancey can't teach height, um, to no, expect him to have the, <laughs> we haven't used that one in a while. Actually. No, we have not. Yes. No, it's I'm, good I'm, to bring that yeah, out of the archives. It was nice. Yeah. I feel yeah. good about it. Nice little uh, subtle. Yeah, no, no problem. Addition, um, yes. <laughs> but um, you know, Gaudet is someone that I think you're right. I think his unique skill set, and look, they're, they're paying him like a number one wide receiver, where he needs to come out there and be a guy that Daniel Jones can trust. Where, all right, maybe there's not a lot of space here, but I can throw the ball to him and I can trust he's going to, you know, beat, out-physical, out-jump, however you want to say, the defensive back and, and go make that play. Well, and the other reason why I bring this up is the more and more I'm thinking about this, if you look at the Bills of the Chiefs personnel, John, they didn't have a tower. Either team, I would argue. Yeah, that Gabriel Davis was like the closest thing. And what was yeah. he, like 6'2"? Okay, but that's, to me, I'm not saying yeah. that that's no, Kenny Galladay territory. No, it's I not. would say the closest thing that they had to Kenny Galladay was a tight end when they would throw it up to, you know, one of the guys that Buffalo used in the rotation or Travis Kelsey with Kansas City. So that's another reason why it's interesting to see how they're going to utilize Galladay because Kafka's coming from a school of thought where they relied on speed, getting guys out in open space. They not that they didn't throw the ball vertically. Yeah. Correct. Separation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily having a guy jump up and win the battle like a rebounder in the NBA. And I would say very similar to Buffalo, though. I'll give Gabriel Davis, who you brought up, he won some contested catches. You go back. I mean, they did throw him some of that, but still not necessarily to the degree no. of what we've no, seen no, no. well-documented by Kenny Galladay. No, I'm with you 100% on that. Yeah, agree. So I think that'll be something that hopefully Daniel Jones, remember, he never really had a chance to kind of get into that rhythm with Galladay last year because, you know, finally Galladay started playing a bunch into the, the year, but that's when Jones was out. So I would have to go yep. back and see how many consecutive weeks those two players actually played together. I mean, it can't be more than four, right? Four or five games? You would think that that would be the cap. I mean, I could look it up right now. I'll bring yeah, up Kenny Galladay's game logs. I'm curious. Because remember, because Daniel Jones missed that game early in the year, too. Remember he had the concussion? Correct. So, and then, so he missed that game, and then he had the neck later in the year. So my guess is that they probably didn't play more than three, maybe four consecutive games together. That would be my guess. If I'm, if I'm, not, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Um, well, Galladay was out from week six through week eight. He was inactive for those three games. And he missed the first game of the year, or did he play the first game of the year, Galladay? He's Which, down as playing the first game of the year. Okay. Yeah, because he had six targets in that game. And then Daniel, we know, missed the last six games. So I have Jones's game log up here. Hold on. I'll eliminate that. That, if my math is correct, that would be week twelve through week seventeen. So Galladay, because he was hurt in the Philadelphia game. Yes. Yeah, so so Jones, the question yeah. is, John. I, know I mean to cut you off. No, you're I think weeks nine through eleven. I want to say they were both out there. 
You said Galladay missed games what? Missed miss weeks what? Galladay missed six through eight. He All was right, out. well, I guess one through five, they both played together, Correct, right? yeah, one through five, yeah. But remember, he got hurt in that Dallas game, so I don't really right. count that one. You're right, the only key, Dallas attempts. came from week five. And yeah. I don't think Galladay, I have to look it up, I don't think Galladay played a ton of snaps in week one either. I think he was a limited player in that game too, to be honest with you. So, yeah, so you're right. I would say those four weeks, and then you said weeks nine through 11, um, that would be November, what, 1st to, to the 22nd? November 7th, the 22nd, and the 28th. Yes, and they, they also played those three consecutive games together, too. Yeah. Believe it or not, John, he played 85% of the snaps in week one. Did he Because really? I have that log up. Yeah, I I'm looking at that now. that. All right, yeah. I was wrong. He did play a lot. The one that jumps out is obviously the Cowboys game because he only had 35% of the snaps. Everything else, believe it or not, the lowest total if you look at every game he actually appeared in, he gets credit for 55% of the snaps he played against the Raiders. Everything else was 72% or higher for the most part the rest of the way. And how many total games played did he finish with? In terms of total games, let me just go to the other page here for Kenny Galladay. Let's see. He played a total of 14 last 14. season. 14. You know what? Yeah. It's funny, if, if you would have just made me off the top of my head... Uh, I don't think you would have given that total. I would not have given yeah. that... No, I probably I, wouldn't have either. I wouldn't have given that game total or that snap percentage total either, to be honest with you. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't yeah. have. Well, because it felt like he was just in and out of the lineup constantly, yeah. even if he was playing in a game. Like, for example, if memory serves me correctly, the Dolphins game, he also... There was some issue with his socks or something in that game. He had to briefly go out. Maybe I'm making this up, and it's just a figment <laughs> of my imagination. But I could have sworn... I socks, but yeah, I... Yeah, there yeah. was something with his socks I could have sworn, that they were making a big stink about that, and that he had to, like, go to the sideline or fix it, and that cost him a few snaps. So it just... It had the feel that his season was interrupted but yeah. when you look at the game total you say all right 14 out of 17 games i mean that's not terrible no, it's not all things well, considered and i think the problem though too lance is when he got healthiest and was playing the most snaps that's when daniel jones was no longer on the field exactly so yeah. even though he was out there you didn't feel the impact because he didn't he had you know jake Fromm and mike glenn throwing the ball to him which is a little bit different <laughs> than having daniel jones throw the football to him so i think that was part of it too a um, couple other things in practice that I'll throw out there, and you'll see my – I don't know if the practice report is up there yet. I just sent it in before we started recording, so probably not. Um, Tyrod Taylor, man, he turns 33 next Wednesday. And I know for me that's that's young, but for NFL players, you know, not super young. That dude could still move, man. Like, he's quick. He avoids the rush well. You know, I, I, don't, I think the second unit has had some issues with, uh, with pass protection, but – he, you know, sneaks out of there. He goes left to right. He goes underneath rushers, and he's able to still make these throws on the these accurate throws on the move. That just to me are, are really, really impressive. And I know he's had a lot of hard luck staying healthy the last couple of years when he's when he's gotten an opportunity. Oh, but yeah. I, I've seen a lot from him where if he's able to stay healthy, I think the Giants do have themselves a pretty good backup quarterback on their hands. Well, this is why we talked about this, John, all offseason. I was campaigning heavily for a guy like him to come in because, A, they needed to upgrade that position. But it goes back to the conversation you and I had earlier on this show. If Daniel gets hurt for some reason, I think they'll have success running a lot of similar things with Tyrod Taylor because of that mobility factor. He's a smart guy. He makes good decisions. You look at his career numbers, John. Tyrod Taylor is excellent in taking care of the football. And that, it goes without saying, needs to be the biggest priority, right, for a guy playing under center. But he's got an excellent touchdown-to-interception ratio. The problem is, 
as you just hit on, every time in his last three stops where he actually has had a legitimate shot to be the starter, he got hurt. So we have not seen a complete season out of him. With the Chargers, you had the punctured lung. So Justin Herbert comes in early in the season. You know that's done. The rest is history. Prior to that, with Cleveland, he gets hurt early in the year. Baker Mayfield takes over. Mayfield set the rookie record. Actually, it may be good if you back up Tyrod Taylor. You apparently set the rookie record for touchdown passes. Mayfield (laughs) did it, and then Herbert did it. And then with the Texans, Deshaun Watson didn't play. And he took over. All of a sudden, he gets banged up. Davis Mills takes over. So it's not the same situation, of course, with the Giants because he's the backup and Daniel, the younger guy, is ahead of him. But the bottom line is there's a reason why a lot of teams have brought him in. There's a reason why a lot of teams have given him a shot. And I think it's because you know what you're getting out of Tyrod Taylor. There's not as much, John, of a guessing game as opposed to or in comparison to some of the other quarterbacks we've seen wear Giants uniforms in recent history. Yeah, and I'll say this too. You know, I mentioned his escapability and stuff and his throwing on the move. Just generally, he's been very accurate. I mean, he's been an accurate thrower of the football um, in practice on the move or from the pocket. I think he's just been very good, to be quite honest with you. So um, just something to keep in mind. Last thing I'll mention, uh, I I kind of buried the lead, which I thought was the best play of practice. Darnay Holmes uh, during those red zone one-on-ones. They tried to uh, get the ball, I believe it was to Austin Prohl on a slant, and Holmes lays out like parallel to the ground and catches the slant with two hands diving in front of Prohl. He uh, goes down to, to the ground, holds on to the ball for the pick. I thought Holmes had a really nice day of practice, and he's a guy, Lance, that's going to have an opportunity here, as you well know. Technically, you might only have two starting cornerbacks if you start the, start the game in your base 4-3 defense. Three cornerbacks are playing 70% of the snaps in, in, in the modern NFL. It's sure. just the way it goes. And Holmes, ideally, would be one of those three guys, probably the guy in the slot if Robinson stays outside the way they've been working him. So I think it's it, very important for him to play well, and I think we have been seeing him play, you know, play well, at least at practice today. I was talking about this with Paul the other day. Darnay Holmes, everybody was talking about Cordell Flott, right, being drafted, and Flott may be the young, new up-and-coming kid that's going to come in, and Holmes sort of an afterthought, but, you know, he's had a lot more experience. He's been on the team. He seems to be playing with that edge. Hold on a minute, okay? I'm not allowing the rookie to come in and take my job or move ahead of me on the depth chart, and I think that's good. You want to see that out of a player like Darnay Holmes, who's had his ups and downs since he entered the league and now needs to prove himself to a new coach. Except I just I get the feel of that in the early stages of training camp that he understands it's a new coaching staff, it's a young nucleus around him, and that jobs are not just handed over immediately based on experience. So you like to see that in the early stages, and it's good to see that he's been aggressive, he's been competing, and he picked off Daniel Jones on day one on a pass intended in the flat area. So, I mean, that, once again, can't ask for a better statement than early on right out of the gates in training camp. Yeah, and one thing about Darnay Holmes, even when we first, when the Giants first drafted him, he always was a very smart guy, seemed very intelligent, does the homework. And again, another guy that has trouble staying healthy the last couple of years, right? So if he can, that seems to be a theme. Uh, if he oh, can yeah. figure out a way to stay on the field, um, that would certainly help matters. All right, we got a few minutes here, Lance. Have you guys talked at all about the uh, Kyler Murray thing? 
at all or no? No, we actually did not get into the Kyler Murray on this okay. show. Did so, it on Sirius, but not on this show. I'm sure. Okay, <laughs> yes. so we, we we have a couple minutes. So very briefly, if you guys don't care about this, you can you know turn off the podcast if you want. But I, I, I or you could use it in its background music too. Yeah, There's nothing absolutely. wrong with that. You know, but even if you're not interested. Yes. A go couple ahead. things that are interesting about this that I want to get to. But first, I should remind Giant fans that if you want season tickets, they're on sale now. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. Lock in your seat starting at just 100 bucks. 888-NYG-1925. <clears throat> Excuse me. All right, Lance. So this Murray thing, and I'm someone that right now has Murray in my top-tier quarterback, but this contract thing is very, very unique. Oh, yeah. <laughs> unique is one way to put it, John. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is very unique, and... The fact that, look, these, these contracts go out to every agent, every team, all right? So someone was going to see this clause for the fans that haven't heard about this. There's a clause in Kyler Murray's contract that he has to do at least four hours of game film work or playbook work. Independent you want study to, is independent what they're calling study. it. Independent study. There yes. you go. Um, on the side. And here's the trick. Since nothing's on paper anymore, everything's on the iPad, right? Teams know exactly what their players are doing <laughs> when they go home. And if they're not looking at their iPad, the team knows that because they literally, it's team property. So they have tracking equipment they on can those monitor things, that. and they know exactly what's going on. So the fact that that had to be put in there, knowing that this was going to get out at some point, uh, tells you that he probably wasn't doing quite as much as they would have liked. And now Kyla Murray, you know, apparently came out today and, you know, had an impromptu media session and was like, oh, it's ridiculous. How can you think I have this type of success if, you know, I wasn't, you know, uh, you know, watching all this tape and doing all this preparation. But then, and I didn't know this, but I just read it this morning, which is why I brought this up. I don't know if you saw the pro football talk post, Lance. Did you see that? Well, there's been a number on Kyla Murray, so I think you'd have to be a little bit more specific. I will be more specific. Yes. He, he cited an article that was... Um, Talking about the New York Times? Yeah. Yes. And this is the quote from Kyla Murray last year. Yep. I think I was blessed with the cognitive skills to just go out there and just see it before it happens. I'm not one of those guys that's going to sit there and kill myself watching film. Yeah, he admitted I don't it. sit there for 24 hours and break down this team and that team and watch every game because in my head, I see so much. So, like... Like... <laughs> You basically pulled the curtain away here, dude. Like it's it's hard for you to come out and be like offended by this and be mad at it when you basically admitted that you don't do it in in an interview last year. I mean, come on, man. Like don't don't treat us look, you can he's had and I like Kyle Murray. He's had a lot of success. He could be my quarterback any day. But don't treat us like we're stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, that's the thing about the internet, right? Everything's documented. So if you try to backpedal, it's going to come back to bite you. Yeah, because so, you they know, have the article. Yeah. Just, just, ju just treat us like we've all read. And look, the one thing we've seen from these Cardinal offenses, too, is that I believe in all three years of, Cl of Cliff Kingsbury's time there, 
the offense has gotten worse as the season has gone along. Like, it's been a fairly consistent trend year to year. Yep. Now, what's the reason for that? Is it that the scheme isn't overly complicated? People are figuring it out. Is that teams are adjusting to Murray? Murray's not adjusting back. And look, Murray had some injury issues too, right? He had the hamstring he a couple years yep. ago. Two DeAndre years Hopkins, ago. Yep. Two years ago. DeAndre Hopkins last year missed the last, what, a six, Which seven, was eight, a killer. nine. Yeah, that was a him. huge loss. Absolutely. Yep. Huge deal. So there are mitigating circumstances. Absolutely. But look. The fact that I had to go in there, you know, and it's funny. You go back, and I don't know if I think you – I know you're on top of this, so I know maybe the fans didn't notice it. But there was also stuff in Cleveland where for one week, I believe Baker got COVID, right? And yep. there was a rumor out there that he basically just played Call of Duty for three days. <laughs> didn't study the game plan and then tried to kind of come out and, and play on that Sunday because he got cleared from the COVID list on Saturday. So – you know, this is kind of younger... ironic, by the way. I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah, Call please. of Duty being the game oh, that he plays yes. when he basically missed <laughs> his duty as the quarterback. I'm sorry. I just I had to throw uh, that out. Yes. It, is, it is. It is very, very funny. So, you know, that that's kind of where we are now. And, you know, it's, it's not just the Kyler Murray. It's thing that young players have to figure out. They come in and we talk about this. And I know a lot of fans take it for granted and they get mad sometimes. Oh, how can you talk about this player? You know, he doesn't love football enough. He doesn't care. And oh, these guys are professionals. They all care the same amount. No, no. Some guys do more than others. And it makes a difference. Whether it's physical preparation, mental preparation, go through it. And it's just something that when you worry, and that's why when we talk about scouting, this is kind of where I wanted to bring it together, Lance. When you talk about, you know, scouting players for the draft, and we talk about what we see on tape and what kind of player they are and all that sort of stuff, there are things that we can't know, right? Because the college coach is never going to throw these guys, you know, down the flight of stairs because they sure. want to recruit, right? Yep. So everyone that comes out of these programs, he's a great worker, he's this, he's that, he does this and that. Now, maybe they tell the scouts different things in private. But, but publicly, they say, they'll never throw a guy under the bus. Correct, and they shouldn't. They're their players. You know, you, you shouldn't do that. So these are things that when you talk about players and we scout them, we talk about our you know evaluations and stuff, this is stuff that we can't know about certain players as to whether or not they're putting the amount of work in necessary to not just be good, a good player, or in Kyler Murray's case, a very good player, but to be a great player, an elite player, a Hall of Fame level player. And little things like this is what can sometimes make the difference. Well, some guys have innate abilities that separates them from the rest of the pack. I'm not going to dispute that. Now, is Kyler Murray a finished product where he could say, nah, I don't got to watch any film, I'm okay? No. But there are certain guys that just can pick up on things without studying that other guys need a lot of time. And I wouldn't dispute that. I guess my problem with this whole thing is it's more of Kingsbury goes back to John with Murray to their college days. Remember, they crossed paths. Recruited them in high school. Correct. Exactly. Okay. So if anyone knows Murray's work ethic, him in and out, backwards and forwards, it's the head coach. So I guess what I don't understand is— And by the way, Kingsbury was asked about this the other day, and he gave the biggest non-answer that you can ever (laughs) possibly imagine, which basically is mean, yeah, it's true. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, by the way, you want to know another layer to this to make it even more fascinating? Do you know that they share the same agent? (laughs) No, Just connect the dots there. Oh, yeah. So if if people are wondering— Well, why did Kyler Murray get this contract despite all of this? Well, I think that's all you need to know, okay? I'll put it that way. But what I'm getting at is 
if Kingsbury and the front office, Steve Kime, who's the general manager, and maybe ownership really put pressure that they wanted this in the contract because they're not necessarily around him on a daily basis. My point is, if you're comfortable in his preparation, in what he does, what he doesn't do, why are you forcing this clause in the deal? No, you wouldn't. That's what I don't understand. No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You would just accept it, right? You would say, John, Kyler Murray is who he is. We love his talents. He's unique. We trust that he's well-prepared for games. And that's it. You leave it at that. Why even go to the degree of spelling it out, have it written down in the contract? Because Kyler may not admit this, and I didn't see his most recent presser. I saw the one where they announced the deal. So you're saying he, again, spoke to the media since this news yeah, came yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently yeah. this morning he just, like, walked up to the media. And I'm not sure if he did, like, a full interview, but he, but he basically sure. said— you know, there's no way I could possibly have had the success that I've had if, if I didn't put all the work necessary in in order to, to, to win games or whatever. Well, and I'm sure that he won't admit this in the conversation he had. But and by the way, I'm sure he thinks he's done enough work to I'm win. I'm sure he did. Yeah. yeah. But I'm sure that also, I don't think he likes the fact that he has to talk about this right oh, now. And that clause was well documented in the media. To your point, Lance, that's why unless this was a real thing, you would never put that in the beginning. That's my point. Exactly. 100%. Why add this extra layer of baggage to give the media more of a feeding frenzy? Who you just paid now... $40 million a year. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> like, why even take away from the fact that you're committed to this guy? You invested in, period. End of discussion. Why are you now giving any seed of doubt where not only does he have to answer these questions, John, but now his teammates... The reporters are going to go to the teammates and they're going to be like to DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre, what is Kyler like in terms of preparation during the week or the offensive line? Guys, how much do you meet with him? How much does he talk about audibles? The the first question the offensive coordinator is going to get in this first training camp press conference is about this. It's going to be the first question. So why? Why put them in that position? That I don't understand. Now, you brought up an interesting point, if I heard you correctly. You had mentioned that other agents you think would get a hold of the contract regardless and would then maybe give it to the media, and that could be another way that it would get out. Because I feel as if somebody connected to Arizona spilled the beans. No, see. No, you don't think that's how it happens? See, I think how how it works is that every contract that gets filed with the league office ends up becoming, you know, maybe not public. But everyone pretty much has access to it. Which I'm a little surprised by that. A little surprised. I mean, I understand you're an agent. You want to know the breakdown if you're negotiating for a quarterback. But when there's clauses like that, John, if I sign that contract, I would not want everybody in the union and the agents to see that. That, no, to me, I, is a little too far. Yeah, no, I agree. I think... I, look, I, maybe I'm wrong, so I'm not. No, like, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just I oh, don't no, no, know no. for a fact what the structure is, so I don't want right. to speak out of line. No, and again, not and knowing again, that, that's I'm why not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. But based on what I've how I've heard other people talk about it, is that these contracts tend to get around and 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 they get seen by most people. Because I'm with you. It does to me. It doesn't make any sense for Arizona to put this out. Why would you want to create the extra controversy after you? You know, because you look bad too, right? Where you saying, "All right, I just sure. paid this guy two hundred million dollars, and I'm worried about him." You know, not doing four hours of tape work. <laughs> you gave I mean, over a hundred million guaranteed, and now require a four-hour independent study. Which, by the way, I didn't mean to cut you off, John. Do you know no, how much fine. of a joke, by the way, that clause is? They're requiring to do four hours each week. 
I know. Not, just four not, hours each week. Not I was per day. On, Bill Polian, I was on with him with Sirius the other day. Oh, he, he told must me, have thought this was hilarious. Oh, I can 100%. Imagine. But, but he told me, John, he said that Brady, and he said this on the air, so I'm not saying anything that we've yeah. had privately. He said that Peyton Manning and Tom Brady, and Peyton he knows because obviously Peyton played for the Colts, he said that minimum 25 hours per week in addition to what was already on their plate with mandatory stuff. So that means that you're asking Kyler to do one-fifth Okay, of what Peyton and Tom would do basically in general to prepare for a game. That's why the clause is a joke, even if you find it embarrassing or you're questioning why Kyler has to have that written in his contract. The fact that you're even asking a guy to do only four lousy hours is even more comical. Well, that tells me maybe it was negotiated down. <laughs> it started with what? Yes, eight, and yes. they got it down, cut it half. Know. I mean, come I on. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know where it started, but you're right. The yeah. fact that it's the fact that it's such a low number, the whole thing is odd. But you know, it just goes back. You know, I know a lot of Giant fans roll their eyes when people say, "Oh, you know, Daniel, great kid, does the work and all this stuff," and be like, "Oh, whatever. Who cares? It doesn't matter." Well, some of this stuff does matter, and it does. So you know, this is you know, I, I put it this way. If the Giants end up signing Daniel Jones to a new contract, I promise you they're not going to put in the contract that he needs to have four hours of independent study. He's there just on Tuesdays on players' day off, sitting there for eight hours working on his own without coaches. So that's all I'll say. Anyway. No, well, that's why I was saying, I mean, this is really unheard of. It's uncharted territory, however you want to word it, because even quarterbacks, John, that we have questioned based on the eye test or stories you hear behind the scenes, never have I ever heard that management ownership was pressuring the agent or the player to have some written clause in their contract requiring them the exact amount of hours to do work. And there are how many other quarterbacks have played in NFL history that are far worse than Kyler Murray? See, here's the thing. Kyler Murray, as you started off, and I'm with you, I like him as a quarterback. I think he's got a lot of talent, a lot of upside. So for it to be required for a guy at that level makes it also very difficult to digest that we're even talking about this. Yeah. Yeah, look, 100% with you. Other piece of news today from around the league, Lance, before we say goodbye, um, and we're just about to an hour here. Ryan Jensen, center for the Bucks, apparently went down with a pretty serious knee injury at practice today. Uh, I have not seen results yet, but apparently it's supposedly significant. But that's the other piece of big news today out of camps in terms of stuff that's going on. Yeah, he supposedly threw his helmet in pain when it happened. I have not seen any results. I mean, hopefully it's not as bad as what has been described because the golf cart did come out. And Bra- they had Brady, to... Didn't Brady convince him to come back this year? Am I wrong about that? Do, am I remembering that correctly? He may have. You sure you're not mixing it in with Rob Gronkowski oh, every day? There no, seems no, 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 wait, no, wait, no, wait, maybe... No, did, did, didn't they have Gronk? a guard that retired too, the Bucks? Yes, they did have a guard that retired very early, but oh. I don't know if that had anything to do with Brady no, no, I mean, I know, trying to No, I heard Brady him. was trying to convince him to come back, but he couldn't. So may, maybe that's where I'm confusing the two. It's possible. You're talking about Ali Marpet is yeah, the guard Ali Marpet, that retired. Correct. Yeah, yes, yes, Ali yes, Marpet yes. is the guy that you referred to. It's possible that Brady tried to convince him. No, I don't think it was Jensen. I don't think Jensen even contemplated retirement. Yeah, yeah. I don't recall no, that right. coming up. But, hey, anytime a team like that, you could potentially lose your center of all positions. Hey, not necessarily it, good news. So hopefully it's not as bad as it is. The other news, by the way, regarding the way, offensive linemen. The one go, go place, ahead. Yeah. The one place you bother Brady, pressure up the middle. Sure. That's the one Close place the pocket. you can yep. get him, man. That's the one place you can get him. Go ahead, Lance. I'm sorry. Yeah, shrink that pocket. No, yep. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a great point considering he's not the most mobile guy. No, while we're on the topic of offensive linemen, the other guy, injury-wise, and it's not, I think, as bad, but did you see David Bakhtiari had yet another procedure on his yeah. knee? 
My goodness. Too bad. He's the left that tackle of the Packers he can't that we're talking break, about. Man. man, I mean, he hasn't been on the field. He played one game last year, 27 snaps, I believe, and that's been it. The last time he was on the field was late 2020, and they have, remember, Elton Jenkins was banged up last year, too, due to a knee injury. So yeah. mm-hmm. you don't want to be losing a lot of depth before the season even starts. And especially with their weaker wide receiver core without Devontae Adams being there, you better be good up front. Because once you start having issues at receiver and the offensive line, <laughs> look at the Giants last year, that's yeah. when you really start having problems. And by the way, you're right, Lance. Jensen signed a three-year deal with the Bucks in March. Um, he's 31. So there was, there were, there were, there were no... Uh, retirement things. I was getting him confused with more pet. So, um, yeah. So those are the two big things. The other thing I'll note, too, just real quick before we say goodbye, is it's kind of weird to me. So many non-quarterbacks, I feel like holding, like, at camp, but not practicing. I'm sure this hold is their in. way to, like... Yes. Yeah, hold in. Exactly. So you can, <laughs> like, not have to practice, but you don't get fined because you're there. I guess that's kind of like the little shell game they're playing, right? The Marshawn Lynch school of thought. <laughs> I'm just here, so I'm not fine. Yeah. Yes, correct. Well, no, you're referring to three guys. I mean, yeah, we might Debo. as well name them. It's Debo yep. Samuel, mm-hmm. it's DK Metcalf of the Seahawks, yep. and then it's Derwin James of the Chargers. Yep. All guys that have expiring rookie contracts. Derwin James, though, was a first-rounder. The other two were outside of the first round, so they didn't have the team options. But, yeah, all three are in the same boat where they're on site. They're and they're heading into camp. their fourth years, correct? Well, James is in his fifth because he was a 2018 first rounder. Oh, okay. So, so he James was a year ahead his... of those other two. Got it. So James is yeah. on his fifth year option this year. Correct. Exactly. Yeah, okay, they, the Chargers picked up the option, but they didn't give him a new deal. And John, right. it's understandable. Derwin James has not been able to stay healthy. He's a great player, I, right? I would He's want. Just... I, I would want a long term deal too. If I were... Absolutely. Well, no, I don't blame him and his yeah. agent, but I don't blame the team for no, not giving it to him no, up to this point. <laughs> I mean, he's been, once again, a guy every year we talk about, oh, if Derwin James was on the field, what a difference it would make for the Chargers. So, yeah, all three of those guys are in the same boat. They are present. They're just not taking part, which I don't know of how strong of a stance that actually makes. I mean, you're showing up. And what I want to know is, are you in team meetings? Are you doing everything else with the exception of practicing? Because if you're engaged with the team. I would assume, yes. If you're engaged with the team, I guess my point is you're staying on top of the scheme. You're interacting with teammates. You're talking with coaches. It's not like he's showing up and he's, you know, shutting up and not talking to anybody. So my point is, what statement are you making to What's the, the leverage, general manager right? yeah. yes. and the front What's office? The That's my I point. Well, I mean, I, I guess the bigger point is just that, look, I'm not going to put my body on the line here to potentially get hurt without a long-term deal. I guess that's kind of what the what the point is, right? Yeah, and then maybe, I guess, if you're – the coaching staff of the front office, the irritation is more of the example you're setting for the other players. Right. If they go down this road and they try to pull this and you give them a deal, you'll then lose leverage, right? So it's a very difficult line to walk from the front office perspective because if you cave in to all of these players, then what's going to prevent next year's guys who didn't get the fifth-year option or the extension? They're going to say, all right, I'll show up for training camp, but I'm going to sit on the couch and just watch you guys work and sweat to death. Lance, good stuff, my friend. Absolutely. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmunk. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Again, I hope we're back live sooner rather than later, folks. I think tomorrow, probably not, but maybe Monday. Uh, Stay tuned. We'll keep you updated. Stay tuned to our Twitter feeds. We'll let you know what's going on with that. And don't miss out on your chance to experience the premier hospitality experience watching Giant games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giant Suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. 
Uh, we'll see you tomorrow for another episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Again, it won't be live, but the show should be posted sometime around 3 o'clock or so. Make sure you go check it out. We'll see you then.